if you would. First Peter. First Peter this morning. And that's where we'll find ourselves here in just a moment. I appreciate that group singing that song. That's one of my favorite songs. It's peppy, it's uplifting, it's encouraging, it points you to Jesus. And uh, what a song, what a message, what a Savior. First Peter chapter number 2, if you would. First Peter chapter number 2. There was a young boy who had went and visited with his grandfather. It was more than a visit. His parents had gotten fed up with some of his foolishness, if you were to say it that way. And uh, his grandfather was a, a no-tolerance, no-funny-business type of individual. And he came to stay with his grandfather for about a summer, I believe is what it ended up being. And he pulls up into the driveway. His parents drop him off. And his grandfather's sitting out on the front porch. His grandfather looks over at him as he's sitting in a chair, and he says, pull up a chair and come sit. And the, the young boy knows, he's a teenager at this time, knows that his grandfather just doesn't tolerate any, any funny business. He's, he's we're going to do what's right, we're going to work hard, we're going to be uh, the right kind of people, we're going to be kind, we're going to be gracious, we're, you're going to be a gentleman. He says, pull up a chair. So the young boy pulls up a chair, and his, his grandfather is sitting there, and he looks at him, he says, what's been going on? And the young boy says, I don't feel like talking about it. Grandfather says, well, that's too bad. You're at my house. Tell me what's been going on. The boy begins to elaborate and tells him some of the problems he's been having as far as getting himself into trouble. And his grandfather said, okay, that's fine. And uh, as they're sitting there, he says, let's pray. So he began to pray. That was the end of it. He says, okay, now you can go. He says, here's a, a list of things that you can do. And grandfather gets up and walks inside and gave him a list of things. He had to cut the grass. He had to work in the field. He had to you know, make sure the trash was taken out. All these many things, that, these tasks that he had that this young man had, had to do. Well, you fast forward two and three weeks now, and the, the young boy's attitude has begun to shift, and his attitude has begun to change. And one of the things that his grandfather said that he had to do every single morning, he said, before you do anything, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to wake up, you're going to spend some time reading your Bible, you're going to spend some time in prayer. And the attitude of the boy had begun to change, and he began to, to, to kind of be a little more polite. He was still trying to adjust, and so the grandfather walks outside, this is about three weeks in, pulls up a chair, says, hey boy, pull up a chair. Grandfather sits down, he says, Tell me what's been going on the last couple weeks. Sits there. The boy says, I just don't feel like talking about it, Granddad. He says, that's too bad. You're at my house. Tell me what's been going on. The boy begins to tell him. He's still breaking through some of that. And uh, so anyways, fast forward another three weeks. The young boy had been reading his Bible, praying, doing all those chores. Granddad walks out and says, pull up a chair. Now, at this point, he has about four more weeks left at his granddad's house. And so... The granddad pulls up the chair, says, young boy, pull up a chair. Pulls up the chair, he says, tell me what's been going on the last couple of weeks. And the, the young boy looks at his grandfather and says, granddad, can I ask you a question? He said, sure, ask me anything. He said, every single morning, he said, I, you have me reading my Bible and you, you, know, you have me praying and doing all these chores. And he said, but he said, you, you, I walk out and all throughout the day, I find you at random times, you'll be found reading your Bible and You'll be found praying, and he said, you don't work, you don't, you know, you're retired. Why do you do that so much? And the young boy is listening as he asks that question. The granddad stops, and he says, let me tell you something. And he begins to share his testimony. And he begins to go on. He says, young man, he said, 
when you get alone with God, there's just a splendor of it. He said, when you, when you find yourself no longer walking outside and being, having to be told by your granddad to open your Bible. He said, but you just want to. He said, and you open that Bible and you begin to read. He said, there's just something about it. You're holding within your hands the, the Word of God. As he's sitting there, the young boy is, is listening to every word that his granddad is, is saying. And so, he begins to go on and begins to talk about the, the, the grace of God in his life and how the Lord brought him through hard times and all these many stories. For a couple of hours, he's sitting there and he says, All right, boy, that's it. Go do your chores. He gets up. The next four weeks go by and the, the, the granddad walks into the room, pulls up a chair for one last time, and says, all right, young boy, pull up a chair. Granddad sits down. And before Granddad could even get out of his mouth, hey, tell me what's been going on the last couple of weeks. The young boy looks at him and says, Granddad, I get it. He said, I've, I've opened my Bible. He said, the, the first seven, eight weeks, I was doing it because you told me to. He said, but the way you explain Jesus... And how personal it was to you. He said, I, I understood that there was more to it than just going to church. He said, I, my parents make me to go to church, but I never understood that, hey, I, I get to go to church. He said, my parents would tell me I need to read my Bible, but I never understood that, hey, I get to read my Bible. He said, and his granddad, as you were explaining all of those many things about how personal Jesus is to you, I understood it for the first time. And he said... He said, the last four weeks have been some of the best weeks of my life. He said, I, I found myself, instead of griping and groaning and, and, and fussing and getting mad that I was having to cut the grass and do all of this work, he said, I'd find myself reflecting on what I'd read that day. And he said, Granddad, it's, it's amazing all of those many things that you were explaining. He said, I was able to experience some of that. And Granddad looked at him. He said, young boy, he said, the rest of your life, Remember this, there's always somebody watching you. Fast forward, this young boy ended up going. He went back home, got his life straightened out. He started to be the right young man that he was supposed to as a 17-year-old boy, 18-year-old boy. Later on, he was called to preach, and he began to serve the Lord in missions and was doing a great work for the Lord. And The Lord was using him, still is using him. And as he goes and he travels and shares this testimony, he always talks about his granddad. He says, my granddad told me one thing that stuck with me. He said, there's always someone watching you. This morning, I want you to draw your attention to 1 Peter chapter number 2, and I want to preach a message entitled, They're Watching You This Morning. In the Christian life, you will find that there are always people that are watching you. There are people that are watching you, waiting for you to fail. There are people that are watching you, waiting for you to fall. And there are people in the Christian life that are watching you as a Christian that are, that are drawing strength from the testimony that God's been faithful to you. As you go through life, you'll find that there's always people that are just plain and simple watching you. Every step, everything that you're going through, everything that you face, your attitude, your actions, your activities, all across the board, people are watching you. 
And this morning you might be saying uh, along the lines that somebody has recently called you out on something that you did. Maybe it was someone who was unsaved and you say, yeah, but I've had, I've had people that aren't even Christians who have said, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you supposed to do that? And, and you might want to respond or maybe you've responded and you said, yeah, and I'll tell those people that aren't Christian, I'll say, yeah, but you're, you're not even a Christian and you live like the devil every day. Can I remind you they're supposed to? You see, those that aren't saved are going to naturally live like the devil, just like you and I did before we found Jesus. And so when someone who's not a Christian comes up to you and says, hey, you're supposed to be a Christian, you're not supposed to do those things, they're not lying. They're watching you. You see, there are people all across this nation that are watching you without you even knowing. If you have social media, people are watching you all the time. If you think about the, the, the last year, and, and I was reminded of this, when there were certain people that were, that were uh, made a highlight of over the last year. We have people that will go and they'll try to find something that happened seven, eight, nine years ago and say, yeah, but look what they did seven, eight, nine years ago. And the truth of the matter is, there are going to be times whenever somebody may bring up something in your past and you're going to say, yes, that was before Jesus. But if you continue to live like the devil, and you find that there are people that aren't Christians coming up and saying, hey, you're, you're a Christian, you're not supposed to live like that. So you might say, well, and if, if that were going to be an issue, then you know what, I'm just going to tell them, or I'm not going to tell them I'm a Christian. Well, can I remind you of what the Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And so you say, okay, if I were to tell them that I, I'm a Christian, I, you know, I just still don't want to, everyone to, to call me out. Well, then start living for Jesus. You know, I found it's, it's an amazing thing. And this is something that my, my parents told me at, at a young age whenever I was a teenager. Whenever I was doing things and I kept getting in trouble for doing things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, my stepdad said, are you tired of getting in trouble? And I said, yeah, I'm tired of getting in trouble. He said, then stop doing it. It just made sense. It made sense at that point that, hey, if I don't want to get any more whoopings, stop doing what's getting me whoopings. Uh, I was not the one who would do something disrespectfully. I was not the one that would, would blatantly disobey, if, if, if that makes sense. That was not my personality as a child. I was the, the nitpicker. I was the one that was trying to get people spankings. Any of you like that? You say, that was me. I was the one that was always picking. Stop. I'm not the only one in here that was the picker. I was the picker. Jaden, come here real quick. So this, I'm going to let you illustrate my brother right quick, okay? And my brother, if I were to bring him here, he would say, listen, if he's ever preached truth before, he's preaching it right now, okay? He knows, all right? I was the picker. You're going to act like my brother. My brother had a, a temper if there ever was one, all right? There was one time where I knew that he was going to get in trouble. Now, I think I, did get, I think I did get in somewhat trouble, but I don't think I got in complete trouble at this, this one particular time. But I would always pick. I'd run through rooms. I'd lock them out of the room. And you know what happens. Door starts banging. And next thing you hear, Devin, quit doing that. And I open the door. What? You know, nothing's going on over here. Devin, Devin's doing that. Well, anyways, this one particular time, I run through our garage. We lived in a cul-de-sac. And uh, it was, a, it was a, a row of probably 80 modulars on this side, 80 modulars on this side. It was a big modular development. And I ran through our garage. 
and I locked them out of the garage. Well, Devin comes through, and he just punches that window. I mean, just punches through the window. I didn't get in trouble. But it wasn't until probably out we were in uh, probably I was probably 16, 17, where my parents, and they knew at times, but he was always getting in trouble for his reaction. That was what he, any of you always say, you say, I was the kid always getting in trouble for my reaction. Okay, that was my brother. And uh, he kind of looks like my brother. You know, me and my brother have, very, you can sit down now. We have a little bit of, of, of differences. I was going to use you as an illustration, but I'm going to veer over here. Um, but I was that child that was always nitpicking and trying to get him in trouble. And I didn't realize this until later on. Now I, I, I see this, but I wasn't fooling anybody. You go and ask my family. I'm talking about my aunts, my uncles, my, my, my uh, grandparents. Man, I didn't realize this, but whenever I talked to them, they knew that I was the, the instigator. They said, you were always instigating your brother, always picking on them. And so now as a preacher, I'm able to relate to some of these things, and I'm able to say, you know what? Even as a child, people were watching me, even as a child. I was talking to Brother Jody just the other day, and we were talking just the other night, and we were just kind of talking about young people. And some of these young people, some of those children back there, they think, oh, I'm too young to be used. No, people are watching you. God can use any single one of us right this very moment, and there is a world that is watching us. Can I encourage you not to be a stumbling block? 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse 9 says, But take heed lest any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Romans 14, 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judges this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. You think about the testimony of Christians. You think about uh, those that are watching us. There are people that are watching every single one of us. It was, a, it was a very great reminder because some of this was tied into our Sunday school class and some of those things that were, were shared as requests, prayer requests, if you would. And what a reminder it is that anywhere we go, at every single place that we turn, every activity, every attitude that we have, anything that we are doing, there is always somebody that is watching us. It's an amazing truth to, to understand because when you think about being a Christian, there comes a responsibility with understanding that. You see, whenever you go on vacation, it does not give you uh, this free pass to live like the devil just because you're on vacation for a week. And whenever you are finding yourself off, off, off uh, working, you know, you think about soldiers and you think about uh, police officers, you think about those that are in, in higher positions, even in CEO corporate businesses. If they go on vacation and they were to do something that they're not supposed to and get in trouble by the law, guess what? There's some, uh, there's some repercussions because of that. I've seen people who, because they went on vacation, big corporate companies, whenever they have someone that will go on vacation, if that person does something, I've seen, I've seen them in stories being uh, written about them being ripped of that job status right there. My brother was talking about some of the things that whenever they were in the military, and my stepdad has shared this, there are certain things that if you do certain things whenever you're on leave and you get caught, you get in trouble. You think about the Christian life, you think about certain things that, that in our, our lives there are people that are watching us. It doesn't give us a free pass to, to live like the devil just whenever we want. You say, well, what's the big deal? Because somebody's watching you. There might be some poor lost soul that is looking at you right now and you, they're looking at you and saying there's something different about them and I don't know what it is and they understand that there's something different. You understand that it's Jesus. Jesus changed you. It was nothing that you have done, but somebody is watching you. There are people that have been praying for their family members, their co-workers, their friends for years. 
And you might be the person God uses to reach that person. They're watching you. 1 Peter chapter number 2, look with me, the Bible says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be... They may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience uh, toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye buffet it for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently? This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who do no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who is his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under, un, unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishops of your souls. Notice when what the Bible says in the very beginning of verse number 11, it says, Dearly Beloved. As you think about your testimonies, you go through the book of 1 Peter, you'll begin to see that there's much said about our testimony. There's much said that concerns our testimony, the encouraging things, the things that are a great reminder, the things that we should take heed to. First, we find that it's precious. We find its pattern. We find its purpose. All of those things deal with our testimony. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 6, it says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in a chief cornerstone, elect precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Our pattern, 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. We find our praise is found in the purpose of it, and also uh, making the, the foolish, those who would begin to be ones who would try to stir things up or try to cause strife among the brethren. We silence them because of the way we live. You see, and we'll get to this here in just a little while, but if you've ever had a conversation with someone, and I'll come back to this, so keep this in mind, but whenever you have a conversation, maybe you're arguing with someone. And one of the things that i found is whenever I begin to study people and begin to find out their personality, there are some people that you, you just can't argue with. Any of you know somebody that you just can't argue with? Well, it's oftentimes with those people that you can't argue with that they get more mad when you stop arguing. You ever notice that? They want to argue. And all of a sudden you say, oh, it's fine, we'll just, we'll just, you're right, it's fine. And, and, and someone who, who, who wants to be right cannot stand it when you say, you're right, you're right. They don't like that. They, they don't like it whenever you say, oh, you're right, it's, it's, you don't have to worry about it, you're right. Don't say I'm right. <laughs> you don't, yeah, my brother was like that. I'm just going to, I'm going to wear him out today. I'm going to go tell him to watch this message, all right? I'm going to tell you all of his stories. 
But I was thinking about this and praying about this. This morning, I had intended the Lord all week had, had laid upon my heart Joshua chapter number 4. And what mean ye by these stones? And as I was reading that passage and, and thinking about all those things and, and had already studied and had it ready to go for Sunday because of the week. And last night, I was having a conversation. In this conversation, I was talking to this person and, and it reminded me that, that there needs to be a reminder that there are people that are watching us. And I was talking to this individual, and this individual had mentioned it's, it's someone who had been visiting. I told them that I might use this, this story. And because they, they came to understand to some degree what I meant by this, but they, they had mentioned that they just wanted happy preaching. Now, you understand when I say this, and I said this in our Sunday school hour, you can always say anything that needs to be said in the right spirit as you say it with, with love. You need to speak truth with love. We understand that. And I was trying to help them to understand that, that oftentimes whenever you get happy preaching, happy preaching is what leads people to hell. If you never preach the Word of God, you never preach, thus saith the Lord, and you only get all of the, the happy, fuzzy, good feelings, then you risk never truly getting the truth. And I was reminded as I was having that conversation that we've seen some great victories this summer. And as I already shared with you a couple of weeks ago, as we continue, as we endure after great victory, one of the things that is very tempting after a busy summer is just to slack. Lord, I gave you all this summer, so I'm going to take the next couple of weeks to myself. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to slack. Now, you might not be openly slacking in sin or doing something that you're not supposed to, but you might just stop reading your Bible. Man, I've, I've given this summer to the Lord. I've read every single day this summer. So you know what? I'm going to take a couple weeks. I need a couple weeks just to gather myself. And Lord, I've, I've prayed every single day this summer. Lord, I've labored in prayer, praying for the youth camps, praying for the youth conference, praying for the junior camp, praying for the VBS, praying for the, the August camp, praying, praying for all of these things. So Lord, I'm just going to take a little bit of time off. Lord, I've given you all this summer. Lord, I've served in all the special days. I've served in the special meetings. I've done all of these many things. So, Lord, I'm just going to take some time off. Can I remind you this morning that it's in those times whenever we find ourselves coming after great victory that Satan's just waiting for that crack in the door. You say, we've seen God do some great and mighty things this summer, and Satan's not pleased. So if he can find one crack, that's all he needs. You see, and one of the truths that we have to come to understand is a crack can start in just any one of our lives. We oftentimes look for the big bang. We oftentimes look for, for some big bomb that's going to explode. But sometimes we have to remind ourselves that Satan isn't that obvious. You see, Satan is trying to sneak through. He's trying to interwine his way into certain things. And so this morning, I want to preach this message. They're watching you because after we've seen some great and mighty things, Satan wants us to fall. If there's ever been a time where God is trying to work and Satan says, I want Gateway Baptist Church and the members of Gateway Baptist Church to fall, it's right this very moment. It's right after we've seen young people getting saved. It's right after we've seen adults getting saved. It's right after we've seen young people following the Lord and believers' baptisms. It's right after we've seen families join the churches. It's right after we've seen young people running to an altar and a conference being hosted and a VBS day and young people going to junior camp and teen camp and saying, hey, I want my life to count for Jesus. That's when the devil wants us to fall. And so I want to remind you, they're watching you. Go with me if you would. Second Peter, I mean, First Peter chapter number... Two, verse number 11, the Bible says this. Dearly beloved, 
I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Notice with me the first thing as we think about our responsibilities as Christians as they're watching us. We see a duty here. The duty that we see here is a duty as a stranger. The Bible says in verse number 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts and which war against the soul. You see this word, stranger, if you would, we're going to look at these, these key phrases. There's so many verses, I mean, words in these first couple of verses that just really jump out at you. As you think about verse number 11, it's Peter here as he is, you can, you can kind of sense the, the seriousness in his tone as he addresses this in such a, uh, compassionate way, but also a gentle way as he addresses us in the, the seriousness of this situation. As he says right here, dearly beloved. It's as though he, he, he is like the grandfather who has just said, hey, take a seat for just a moment. It's as though he has said, hey, take a seat. And he, he pauses for a moment. He says, listen, dearly beloved. Dearly, listen, this is serious. I want you to understand this. I want you to get this. I want you to understand some things here. And he goes on, he says, I beseech you. That word beseech, it speaks of a begging, if you would. It speaks of a, a, a exhorting, if you would. It speaks of, of one who has come and he's trying to get you to understand something that is so vital at this present time. And so he goes on and he says right here, Dearly beloved, That word beloved speaks of a form of endearment. It speaks of a love for one. It speaks of a closeness, a care, a concern, if you would. Beloved here. He goes on and says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers. As he uses that word beseech, it speaks of one that is a comfort. It's instruction. It's begging. It's encouraging. It's strengthening, if you would, or exhorting. And so he starts off immediately with these two strong words. And he says, dearly beloved, hey, I care about you. I'm concerned about you. I want you to get this. I love you more than you understand. Dearly beloved, I want you to get this. I beseech you. I beg of you. I encourage you. I exhort you. I want you to be strengthened here. He says, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul." You see, the word strangers, it's, 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 it's an amazing thing. It's, it's one that we can rejoice in. That word strangers gives the picture, if you would. It simply means it's giving the picture of one who is living in a place without citizenship. It, it gives the picture that, hey, and it's a great reminder that our citizenship is not here on this earth. Our citizenship is here in heaven. It goes back to the hymn that we've sung, we've heard, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And so he reminds us here, hey, dearly beloved, dearly beloved, here, I beseech you, I beg of you, I want to remind you, look, this is not your home. This right here, this is not the final destination. There's a greater place waiting for you. I want to remind you of this. He goes on and uses another term, the word pilgrim. A pilgrim is speaking here and gives the picture of a traveler or a wanderer. One who is entering into a city to reside there for just a time. You see, I was born August 17th, 1992, and I am on this earth for just a little bit of a time. Now, I had the opportunity 
As a young person, as the Bible was being given to me and the Bible was being preached, I had to make a decision whether I would maintain my citizenship here and maintain eternity in a place called hell or if I would find myself saying, no, I want to find a better citizenship. I want to find a better home, if you would, and I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. And now I can rejoice that this is not my home. I'm just a pilgrim. He says, hey, you're just a pilgrim. You're just one that is traveling on through. But dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Hey, dearly beloved, listen, I, I, dearly beloved, I, I love you. I, I care for you. I'm concerned for you. I, I want to beg of you. I want to exhort you. I want to strengthen you. I want you to understand this. That, hey, this is not your home. There's somewhere better for you. You're just passing through, but they're watching you. So as you think about those things, can I remind you to abstain from some things? Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. You see, that word abstain speaks of holding off, if you would. It speaks of refraining, if you would. Making sure that you wouldn't give way to that. Abstain from it. It kind of goes along with the same lines of us abstaining from the appearance of evil. Refraining from that. Uh, making sure that we don't give in to that appearance of evil. There are certain things that we don't do because we are Christians. Don't apologize for that. There are certain places you don't go because you are a Christian. Don't apologize for that. You know, I found myself early whenever somebody would ask me, uh, if they'd ask me to go somewhere if I wasn't allowed to or if I didn't go there because I'm a Christian, I found myself saying, I'm sorry, I don't go there. But I wasn't sorry. And so now whenever somebody asks me to go somewhere, I'll just say, ah, we don't don't really go there. Nah, that's not somewhere that we'll go. And when someone say, Why? Are you, are you too good for that place? Matter of fact, I am. Am I better than you? I'm not saying I'm better than you, but I'm better than that place. I don't need to fill my life with all of that going on over here when something better is for me over here. And so I abstain from those fleshly things. I abstain from those fleshly lusts, if you would. You see, the lust of the flesh is a, a great danger within the Christian life. The lust of the flesh, as you go and you look at this fleshly lust here, and it says, which war against your soul. And we're going to get to this picture, this understanding of the war and what's taking place here. And as you think about that war, it's, it's a military term. It's a military picture, if you would, of, of always fighting and you're going against and you're, you're losing the battle. You're warring against it. You're going into battle every single day, disrupting and destroying your life because you're giving in to those fleshly lusts. You're giving to those things that you know are not good for you. They're not meant for you. But you're giving the devil away. A preacher put it this way. He said, lust will always fight. He said, against reason, it defies it. He said, against memory, it deadens it. Against hope, it darkens it. Against conscience, it degrades it and dishonors it. Against affections, by deferring them. You think about that. You think about the, the, the last one, the affections by deferring them. We give our affections to all of these many things. All the while, Jesus is standing there saying, Oh, I wish you'd love me more. Oh, I'd wish you would give me all those affections that you're giving to all of these many extracurricular activities and all of these many things over here. If you would just love me like you're supposed to. You think about those things. You think about the struggle within and all of the many problems. And we oftentimes find ourselves saying, Hey, it's their fault or it's so-and-so's fault or it's this person's fault. D.L. Moody put it this way when he was addressing this. He said, the greatest problem that I have with man is D.L. Moody. 
He went on to, to describe it and he said, D.L. Moody is the, the hardest person, if you would. If he were to describe it, he said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other man that I know. D.L. Moody said that. What was he saying? Can I illustrate it for you? It would be me saying this. I have more issues with myself than I do with any of you. I struggle with myself more than I struggle with any of you. I have more problems with Josh Farmer and the decisions Josh Farmer makes and the the problems Josh Farmer has than any of your problems, than any of the issues that you bring my way. So Peter's trying to get us to understand here. Hey, they're watching you. As a child of God, you have a responsibility, and praise God for that responsibility. You know, we're living in a day and age where we're seeing Christianity become a a general term. In Christianity, anyone can say they're a Christian and live like they want to. Why? Because we're finding far too many Christians that aren't wanting to stay in the battle. The responsibility is too great. I just don't want to. We need to. Can I, can I illustrate this for you just for a moment? If, if I were to find myself, right this very moment, I'm looking at these young people. And I look at these young people and I think about the battles that they're going to face. And I look at these young people and I think, oh man, what could God do? But let me just put it to you this way. If I knew all of this five years ago and I said, hey, God would bless us with these young people right here. This would be a, young, a group of young people that we had. But you know what, God, I just don't want that responsibility. And Brother John, right at this very moment, says, hey, that's a great group of young people. That's a lot of responsibility to influence them. I just don't, I just don't want to. I, it's just not worth it. You say, well, I would never say it's not worth it. By living like it's not worth it, you're showing us that it's not worth it. You see, as a child of God, we have a great responsibility. We have a duty to live for the Lord. Peter here says, dearly beloved, I beseech you, strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against... Hey, you don't need those things. Matter of fact, hey, there are people watching you and they don't need those things. You see, there are many people that look for validation through other people. Can I encourage you to only find your validation through Jesus Christ alone? There are a lot of people that say that they'll do certain things because so-and-so does certain things. Well, the question you ought to be asking yourself is, hey, does God approve of it? There are a lot of people that, hey, well, so-and-so approves of it. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, And no offense to that person. I might respect that person highly. I might think that person is a wonderful person. But if God doesn't approve of it, then it doesn't concern me. And it shouldn't concern us. And Peter is trying to get us to understand that we don't need these things. Dearly beloved, I I beg of you as strangers. Hey, you're just passing through. You don't need these things having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that phrase right there, speak against you as evildoers, those who will slander your name, those who will try to disrupt the work that God has done, those who will try to, to tear it down if you would. He says, They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That word conversation means it speaks of a manner of lifestyle. It speaks of a, a behavior if you would. And so as you think about your conversation, as you think about your lifestyle, as you think about your behavior, all in all, does it always uplift Christ? Does it honor Christ? Do people look at your life and say, you know what, that person lives for Christ, but it's because Christ has made a difference in the life, and and you know what, maybe I should reevaluate some things in my own life. The conversation here. The word honest speaks of something that is excellent, something that is commendable, honorable, or good. 
And so in verses 11 and 12, he addressed them. We're not going to get much further this morning. We'll be back here tonight. But he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now let me get to this point, and we'll be done this morning. As you think about the duty that we have as Christians, as strangers, if you would, you say, what's the big deal if they're watching me? Well, we see four things concerning them watching us. As strangers, as they're watching us, in verse number 12, we see that we may reach them. In verse number 12, it says, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's an opportunity as you live your life for Christ that you could make a difference in that person's life. You say, but, but what if I only see them a couple times a year? Then use those couple times a year to live for Jesus and point them to Christ. You know, you, you see so many people on a daily basis, and you think about many people that have been saved and people that have been invited to church. And somebody may have invited them, you know, 50 to 100 times to come to church, and they told them no 50 to 100 times, but that 101st time they finally came. And Jesus broke through. You say, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. The value of one soul is worth it. In verse number 15, and we'll get here tonight, it says, For so is the will of God, that with well-being, or with well-doing, that phrase well-doing speaks of being a blessing to someone in such a way that they can't repay it, and and you're just doing it because the Lord put it on your heart. You're wanting to do something. It says, Ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know what that word put to silence means? It speaks of them literally clamping their mouths. They're, 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 they can't say anything. They're, they're, they're keeping it in check. They're, they're making one speechless because of that. And so what's the second reason? Well, the first reason is that you may reach them. The second reason is you may silence them. Now, there comes a time that as you continue to live for Jesus and you ignore all of the distractions of those who are trying to tear down the name of Christ and tear down what you're doing for God, that at some point they get tired of trying to come at you and they say, you know what, I'm not bothering that person. There are people that could walk up to me right this very moment. There are people that have said certain things. There are people that have tried to destroy what what God is doing, tried to tear me down, tried to tear the church down, tried to tear certain things down, and it it wouldn't do anything to me. It wouldn't faze me. There's a preacher in Indiana that I don't personally know that great, but the Lord's using him in this area, and he just started a discipleship class. And an individual had texted him. He had 50 people at his, his first discipleship class. They're doing it as a Sunday evening service, 50 people. Praise the Lord. And he had someone text him and said, Hey, brother, just want to let you know, I saw that you had 50 people that, that were in that uh, discipleship class. Just don't get too excited. It'll go down after about week three. Uh, and he did the right thing. He just deleted it and kept on going. But he had a ton of preachers and pastors that were commenting saying, hey, keep going. I just shared with him that we went through it. I said, hey, it's worth it. Listen, there's going to come a time when all those who want to tear down Christ and tear down what God is doing, you'll put them to silence because you just keep ignoring them. Their mouth will be, will be shut. It's like the, I posted just the other day, people keep saying, God's not working. You can't tell me God's not working because they ain't been to Gateway Baptist Church in a while then. 
what God is doing in our church, I am so grateful for watching the Lord work in the lives of young people and the lives of families and, and seeing altars full and people say, God's not working. You can't tell me God's not working. And I hope that somebody comes and says, ah, the Lord's just, he's not, he's not working anymore. And I, I'd be glad to put him silent and tell him exactly what God is doing in our nation. I see churches all across this nation that God is stirring up and working and raising up young people to do a work. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter number 3 if you would. I'll share two things with you. Verse number 16, the Bible says this. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed to falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You say, well, what's another reason? They'll be ashamed by your good conscience. Your clear conscience. Don't ever be ashamed for living for Jesus. What a blessing it is. What a, what a joy it is. And there are people that, that oftentimes they'll know whenever they're criticizing, they're being convicted themselves. They're trying to get the conviction off of themselves by drawing attention to someone else. But keep living for Jesus, having that clear conscience. And then go with me to chapter number 4. In chapter number 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Simply put, they become a little intrigued, a little, little, little interested. All of a sudden, because you, you're not doing that, you were once running with that crowd, and now all of a sudden there's something different about you. They're interested. And what God could do in our lives, if we understood on a daily basis, hey, they're watching us. You say, well, you know, how do I know that they're watching? You may not even know until eternity comes how many people were watching you. But it's not about that. There's one that's watching you all phases of your life. And as you live with Jesus as the priority, let God allow your influence to make great in other people's lives. Can I encourage you this morning? They're watching you. You may be, a couple of years ago, as we were having that, that meeting and we were talking about the leadership meeting, and Brother Scott, you said it. I've heard it and I was reminded and it stuck with me. God got my attention. We may be, each of us right this very moment, we may be the only Christian that is in one person's life. They're watching you. As I think about that every single day, you know, we, I introduced Abe, we went and played basketball just the other day, and I introduced him to some of the guys that I'm able to preach to. Listen, th- those guys talk a certain way. They say certain things that they shouldn't. But guess what? They know that the, I'm a preacher. And there were, there were, there were some arguing going on, and, and I told him, I said, it's just not worth it for me to argue with them. It's not worth it for me to lose my testimony when God has given me influence in their lives and they know that I'm a pastor. They know that I'm a preacher. That Whenever I'm standing over there, they're asking me questions about the church. They're asking me questions about how, how the Lord brought me to Clarksville, Tennessee. They're asking me all of those questions. And I've come to understand they're watching me. Now, don't make no mistake. When I cross them up, I let them know, hey, you just got crossed up by a preacher, okay? Just so you know. Don't let them, I mean, I, I still joke with them every once in a while. But they're watching. You have people in your life that are watching you. You have children that are watching you. 
You have church members that are watching. Now, we're going to get to this later on because there's so much in this passage of Scripture of First Peter chapter. You talk about the relationships that are found in this book of the Bible. You talk about the submission. You talk about the servants. There's so much that is found in First Peter chapter 2. But we're not going to make it any further this morning. And I want to ask you this question concerning our duty to being just a stranger, a pilgrim. This world is not your home. The world doesn't have anything to offer you that, that God hasn't already blessed you with that the world can give you. Listen, the greatest gift that you ever received was a gift that was from God. And every other gift that God has given you is just as precious as those. You think about the precious gifts that the Lord has given you, and the world tries to rob you of those things or tell you that, hey, trade all those things that God is trying to do for this. This is something sweeter. Listen, no, it's not. And every single time that you take a stand for Jesus, you say, well, I'm uncomfortable in those situations. Well, God will give you the comfort. God will give you the strength to stand. I keep running through the mind, in my mind, don't bend, don't break, the lyrics of that song. And the sad reality is too many Christians have bent already. And there's not long after before they break. And now they've passed off and they said the responsibility was too high. I just don't want that responsibility. Well, I'm sorry, but as a child of God, we inherit that responsibility. And I'll tell you what, there's just something precious about watching God use your life and watching God use other people's lives and watching God do a work through a local church or through a family or whatever the case might be because that family took a stand for Christ. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to say, this is a strange message to be preaching. It's almost a, a message that seems a little bit hard, and I understand that, but I, I understand also the devil's going to work overtime. The devil's going to try to distract. The devil's going to try to disturb. The devil's going to try to get you all off track of, uh, of doing certain things and saying, hey, it's time to take a break. Listen, there are no breaks for Jesus. Let's keep pressing on. In your personal life, remain in the Word of God. In your personal life, remain in prayer. In your personal life, remain faithful to the church and faithful to the, to the house of God and faithful to all that God has called you to do. Most importantly, remain faithful to who God has called you to be. Allow the Lord to use you. Hey, they're watching you. Let's make sure we're making a difference for Christ. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, I thank you for your many works.